Friday, a little bit of live and in real-time radio, a kind of a rarity, particularly in the nighttime these days, and we, we come and try to bring you programs that uh, edify and uh, entertain, and in other words, are informative and and uh, easy to listen to. Our guest tonight is the gentleman who started coming to visit us, uh, I think about 2008, he will know what year, because he uh, is associated with the American Red Cross and one of the times that they were, had a, a lot of activity was when there was a Haitian earthquake. Barry Porter, is that sound, that was the time when we sort of established a regular relationship, and uh, that was about 2008 or 2010 when they had the big earthquake in Haiti, I think, wasn't it? Hey, Tom, can Hello? Hey, Tom, can you hear me? Yes, I can hear you, sure. Oh, good. I thought that got a little bit, bit of a glitch there. Yeah, uh, the Haitian earthquake and um was one of the first opportunities we had a chance to inter- interact. That's been about 11 years ago now, almost 12, I think. And so what, a, what an event that was, and what an opportunity to continue to join you on a, the radio talk show and inform people about the latest risks of the latest needs of the community uh, as the Red Cross meets uh, a variety of needs and delivers a variety of services day in and day out down the street and across our nation. Well, the Red Cross, I, I've found, and, I, and this is one reason I wanted you to come you come about two or three times a year, at least, uh, is that the Red Cross is kind of a barometer of what's going on in our society. And one of the things that goes on constantly, for instance, is the weather. And this visit is is our sort of pre-hurricane season visit because we're going to yeah, we, speak. Go ahead. I'm sorry. They're, they're talking about because of climate change moving the season up, and they're watching the storm and Hopefully tonight we can talk to folks and help them to be Red Cross ready uh, for the hurricane season, whatever comes our way. And we'll talk about the details of there. Maybe we'll also focus on the need for uh, blood during the summer months. And just inform the audience that uh, the Red Cross is not a building. It is the people in the community who join to be volunteers, join to be financial uh, blood donors, and they're helping to make a difference in the community. Well, I was watching uh, late night TV news, I think last night, and I don't know what channel it was on. I was uh, uh, should have been asleep at that time, but they, they, I remember the announcer said that there had been a fire, a serious fire, I think in Durham, uh, and uh, the, uh, the fire department was there and the police and so on, and the Red Cross, it, it said, is there helping people deal with the situation, and I thought, that reminds me that Barry Porter is going to visit me tomorrow night, but that's another way that the Red Cross is sort of constantly involved in our lives. It's it's there, and so on, and one of the things that I tried to promote uh, back on the 100th anniversary, which was about four years ago, I believe, was that in 1917, when the you know, U.S. Congress gave the Red Cross the mandate to do most of the things that it does, it, it did not fund all of those. It did not fund no, it, any of them. It, it, it did not fund. It did not fund Red Cross. We're a neutral and independent, voluntary organization, Tom. And so those are the things that are some of the misunderstandings of, of people have about the Red Cross. And as an example, you were mentioning watching the news and hearing of a fire report. And we've been recently in conversation with the North Carolina Firefighters, and they how much they value and see uh, the Red Cross 
at those scenes of the fires as an integral part of their response plan. So they want to get there and save lives, of course, then they want to save as much property, and then they want to be able to have uh, an opportunity to know that the family, whether they're fully insured or, uh, you know, uh, a very poor family needing lots of assistance, that they have someone there to begin to guide that family, provide care, comfort, and direction, because when you run out of the house at 2 o'clock in the morning or 2 o'clock in the afternoon, you're family at loss, don't know what to do, the children are upset, maybe there's been an increase seven times in a day in America, someone dies from a house fire, uh, and many of those are preventable. We, we love being a part of the first responder network. They, they respond first, and then they we're sort of the first receivers that turn those families over to us and say, please take care of them while we, we save lives and profit. So a great, great combination. Uh, but as you mentioned, it's hurricane season coming soon, and so it's going to be talking about, you know, especially as we're still in the COVID pandemic, what are some of the things that Red Cross and our government partners uh, are doing to help uh, prepare the community and make sure people are safe, but people have to take action themselves well, we'll all be running to the grocery store at the last minute. I'll be going to the gas station. Like last week, it's a, in a rush. And uh, planning and preparedness is the key to being safe in all kinds of disaster situations. Well, I was trying to think today, you know, I was trying to figure out how, what, what, what should we talk about first tonight? I was thinking about talking about the hurricanes on this show. I, it was giving a little thought, and uh, I was thinking about, well, why don't you ask Barry uh, when they begin planning? And then the longer I thought about it, I thought, well, the planning probably never ends year-round. And that is uh, because not only are, uh, is the Red Cross involved in things that have to do with coastal life and the hurricanes and the evacuations and so on, but also other kinds of winter storms, ice storms, and, and things like that. Yeah, absolutely. So it is a... Um uh, a year-round process, and of course, we get more uh, focused on that because uh, folks' uh, attention, media's attention, uh, government's attention will turn to these predefined times when there is increased risk for large-scale events. You know, uh, uh, four to five times a day, a house fire is occurring across your listening area, and our volunteers are joining fire departments alongside them uh, uh, at the fire scene, and then. Uh, We've got the larger scale events like a hurricane form that wasn't four families in a day, but was over a series of about three days that storm stretched across North Carolina. You know, 10,000 homes major damage and destroyed. And so those large scale events are what we also have to plan and prepare for, anticipate working to say, how are we going to shelter? How are we going to feed? How are we going to provide health care for? Uh, tens of thousands of people who have fled and need care because the community is going to come to us, and the only way we can be there is because we've got trained volunteers, we have the resources. Tom, I think we've talked about it before. Um, you know, the Red Cross needs money now to prepare and have the equipment and training and volunteers. But it's not when you want your local fire department doing a fundraiser to buy a new truck. Same thing for us. We have to be prepared. We do get a little bit more concerned, and when an actual storm is in the Atlantic, we start then a 120-hour uh, clock to say we've got to get people, we've got to get supplies, we've got to get everything in place uh, as that storm approaches. So we've got that around-the-year planning and processing, working with our partners, and then we have the opportunity to uh, start a 
20- or 5-day clock when we get that warning that there's a storm brewing and where, what direction it may go. So all those together for what organizations are doing, but we really need people to take their own preparedness, being Red Cross ready each and every time. What's that mean? Have an emergency preparedness kit. We'll talk more about that. Now, let me stop you right there because we need to take a break. And oh, I want to talk about one more thing before we jump into the hurricane preparedness, and that is something that's going on on the Gulf Coast right now. And whether I want to ask you after after we take the break, I will sort of cue you to the questions here uh, about uh, well, the place that they're getting all that water in Louisiana. I think they had 17 inches yesterday is the exact same place that two devastating hurricanes hit during last summer. And I, I, I remember that some of your people, I think, went down there. Oh, I'm absolutely. wondering if, you, if, you, uh, if we can be on the cutting edge and find out if, if any of your people are going to be going, because they've got, it's Lake Charles is where I'm speaking of, uh, they, and along the, the, the upper Texas coast, uh, a, lot of, a lot of water. They're predicting at least three or four more inches tomorrow for sure. And they've just yeah. about been rounds now. We'll talk about that if, if you're willing to, a little bit of history and how y'all were involved in that, and then we'll we'll talk about the preparedness along our coast. Almost anything you've mentioned tonight, I hope we can circle around and reiterate somewhere during the program between now and 10 o'clock. Barry Porter, who, and I didn't even get a chance to give his pedigree, he is the uh, executive director of the Eastern North Carolina I guess you could say, wing of the American Red Cross, basically from about where we are, a little bit west of here, to the coast, uh, is, is what he's in charge of uh, making sure that everybody is, is working on being prepared and doing doing what is supposed to be done. And he visits us, visits us periodically, as we indicated. And he will be back to talk about other things right after this. Tom Kearney with... We're here every night, Monday through Friday, from 9 till 10. And tonight we're talking with Barry Porter of the American Red Cross. Barry, I don't know if I made made my... Uh, I communicated very well, but uh, I was thinking about asking you about... You, last summer we had a very busy hurricane season, but most of it was not along our coast, but rather along the Gulf Coast. And they're, they're predicting a busy season again. They're not being specific about where the hurricanes will be. Uh, I don't want to wish them off on anybody else, but the fewer we have, the better off I feel about the whole, whole business. But uh, but I think you, some of your folks went down, and I think the hurricane, the first hurricane that hit Lake Charles was one of the strongest that has ever hit the American mainland. That is, it was a five when it hit, the, hit I believe, or something like that. And uh, yeah, that's where exactly. all the water is coming in now. It got hit about two weeks later by another weaker hurricane, but now they're being drowned uh, Yes, exactly, and so you're, you're right. And so we had uh, you know, a unique environment last year, Tom, because the pandemic was raging and still affecting thousands, millions of Americans daily, disrupting lives, and it was you know, one of the surges and peaks because we were all learning to deal with a new environment uh, of taking care of folks who are now in a pandemic and also in hurricane disaster mode where their homes are having bristles. Uh, ripped off. They're having their homes flooded. They there were power lines down for miles. This constant disrupting to uh, life on top of the pandemic, and yet we had over 200 uh, volunteers go in to help lead the response effort. 
uh, and be a part of it. We had to learn to shelter people, not in congregate shelters, but uh, in hotel spaces and how to manage um, people's needs, both medical and emotional needs, while they're in uh, hotels, because the hotels otherwise weren't operating, uh, and still had to, to take care of them. So it was just a, a unique environment, uh, but the Red Cross stood in that gap uh, along with our uh, partners and other not-for-profit agencies to try to meet uh, emergency needs of food, shelter, medical care. You're right, in the middle of that. And many of the volunteers went in person, donned gloves and masks, social distance and uh, supported families. And because of technology, many of our volunteers could also assist with things from a distance. And so the changing world in disaster response, but it still takes boots, as they say, on the ground, touching people, delivering supplies, making a difference. And so happy that they did it. Uh, we've had people in Texas for flooding earlier in the year uh, with other spring storms. Uh, as this um, current flooding unveils itself, there may be a need for some of our volunteers and paid staff also to go and uh, serve in the relief efforts uh, here in these spring storms. So it's a constant uh, demand for Red Cross services in our military programs and our disaster programs and the blood program uh, that keeps us busy, keeps our volunteers, who make up 90% of our workforce, all very busy as we serve uh, those in need. We had, uh, last week was Hurricane Awareness Week in North Carolina, uh, Preparedness Week, I think is what they're calling it now, and Nick Petro, who is the preparedness meteorologist and who is a frequent visitor, came and talked about hurricanes, and we found out that NOAA's National Weather Service, which he works for, and is where we get our a lot of our weather information, is going to release their predictions, I believe it's tomorrow, as a matter of fact, of what they think. Uh, um, yes, I believe you're, you're right. And so, um, you know, the hardest part is, you know, knowing what the conditions are and the number of storms that will form, and then what are the conditions once they form, and will they strike land somewhere? Um, a significant number of storms did last year, and then there were others that stayed out in the ocean and caused uh, disruptions of sea lanes and things of that nature, shipping lanes. But um, if it only takes one. You know, we could they could predict only five hurricanes this year, and that would be wonderful. But it only takes one that comes at the right time in the right location that can wreak havoc. Think Hurricane Andrew. Uh, think uh, Hazel here in North Carolina almost 60 years ago now, which was a Category 4 when it came ashore in North Carolina. So it doesn't take having, like, Louisiana 3 and 4 cross your path. One storm can be a significant impact like Florence was the one storm in North Carolina three years ago, and it can all disrupt lives and risk lives. Well, I know one of the things, and we're not in the weather predicting business, and I don't want to get too far away from what we really need to talk about is, is preparedness and how you folks go about that and, and where you need to stash supplies or blankets or whatever and how you go about that. But one of the things that does seem to be a little different is with the climate changes, our weather is just doesn't vibrate exactly to the same tune as that it, it did before. We, we for instance, last summer had very few days when the temperature got over 90, and we 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 and that was that was different. We had mellower, uh, you know, more more like average temperatures, not not real cold winters and not real hot summers and so on. And it seems to mellow out a little bit. But I think that's making it harder to predict what is exactly going to happen. And of course. 
there's not much to be said for predicting anyway, except to to uh, to uh, take what they think is going to happen based on what has been happening in in the past. You know. Yeah, absolutely. It's sort of like you know, if you if you give uh, some money to a financial advisor, they'll always tell you past performance is not a clear indicator of future results. That's the same thing with weather forecasting. But you know, the, one of the things you can do is staying informed in your community and then taking action personally. And that's what we were talking about with that, you know, Red Cross preparing 24-7 and working uh, across our uh, footprint uh, throughout the year and then highlighting special needs as we get into hurricane season. And individuals need to do the same thing um, with their own basic efforts, make a kit, build a plan, and stay informed about what's happening in your community. And building those kits can be things like, obviously, the key things, water and non-perishable foods, but you have uh, a battery-operated radio in case the power's out. You have extra batteries. You have a first-aid kit in case someone is injured from the storm and its impact. You have uh, sanitation and personal hygiene supplies in place. You know, often when people have to evacuate, don't bring the actual documents like your passport and birth certificates and things or your home deed. Get copies of those. Let them to be in a safe, secure place like a bank vault or a safe deposit box. Have copies of those so that you can bring those with you. Bring extra cash because if the power's out, plan to evacuate uh, the area when advised. And if you're leaving the home, you're going to need three days of supplies uh, to, for that evacuation. We'll have lots of supplies in those evacuation centers, but there's nothing like bringing your own as well. So those are some basic things when we tell people to make a kit, then build a plan, you know, make a plan. How am I going to get? Where am I going to go? Who am I going to inform? Who's going to know where I'm at? How am I going to stay in contact? And what's my travel path? And one of the challenges in a flooding hurricane is roads getting closed and people getting trapped and you can't get access. And we saw that, obviously, in Florence when Interstate 40 closed down. So where did I go? What was my path? Who else knows where I'm going? And how do they know how to get in touch with me when I am evacuated? Let me add just one thing, and then we'll move straight into our break, and that is the thing I always think about because I've had a number of medicines that I've needed to take is to remember absolutely. think of some way to keep your your medicines chilled, the ones that need refrigeration along the way, and maybe a little styrofoam or a little igloo-type thing to do that in. Barry Porter is our guest tonight. He is the director of the Eastern North Carolina branch of the American Red Cross, and he will be back with more right after this. Of the Red Cross for the Eastern, approximately half. I think it's very, is it what, 53 counties or something like that? Uh, yeah, absolutely. It's uh, just over half of the state okay. in terms of counties. Uh, by the way, before we go back, uh, I, I do need to do a little promoing, and, and, and I, I forgot about that, but I wanted to see if I got the number right there. Barry will be with us in just a second, and we will continue talking about what the Red Cross does in general and, and specifically its preparation for the current hurricane season. Uh, well, I, I can wait to, to do what I was going to do, Barry. One of the reasons I, I think we need to prepare for the hurricane season is we're going to find out when the census figures come in, uh, and they've already counted them all up, I think, uh, we just to haven't released them yet. And I, I think I heard that in September is when they're going to release them, which is late because of the pandemic. We're going to find out that North Carolina has rather many more people than it had 10 years ago. And a lot of those people haven't experienced a hurricane season, and they do need to be forewarned, forewarned about 
the need for preparation. I think you probably would agree with that. Amen. <laughs> it, 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 it's, it's one of those things. That, uh, and, and and having been an Eastern North Carolinian all my life, when we uh, when we have one of the Atlantic hurricanes that comes from the Cape Verde Islands, it's one of those things where for a week or ten days, sometimes longer, you wait for it to get here. But then when it gets here, you wish it wasn't here. You wish it was somewhere else. And but that's when your clock, I'm sure, where the Red Cross goes into uh, goes into to counting down to when people yeah, need to absolutely. So that's that 120 hour time frame that we talked about because you know uh, as the storm gets close enough and they're big enough and strong enough. Uh, 24, 36 hours out uh, before landfall, right, which is what the people are always paying attention where it's going to make the landfall. That's the weather forecasters and meteorologists are talking about. Well, at 24 to 36 hours before a storm might make landfall, uh, hurricane-force winds, tropical storm-force winds might be affecting the ability to move supplies and people and personnel. So we've got to get there before the storm. And then, of course, what we've seen occasionally is the storm will change paths. So... Uh, it's not an exact science, but boy, we've gotten so much better, not we, the Red Cross, but scientists have got so much better uh, with the forecasting, understanding what the impact is going to be of a particular storm. And if folks will just heed that advice, uh, because unfortunately, uh, these storms do claim lives, and if folks will take advice, build that kit, stay informed, make a plan, they can minimize their own risk and the risk of others. Because Tommy's seen those images in eastern North Carolina all too often, people could be let out in boats, walking or floating on doors that they've taken off uh, and having to be rescued from their homes and rooftops uh, because of the rising water and the threat of storm surge. And those are things that are now um, not necessary if, if you can take that effort to make your plan and, and stay informed because they don't want any rescuers being harmed either as they try to save lives uh, in the midst of these storms. And from a heroic well, men and women go, go to the front and, and try to save lives all the time. Well, you know, over the last few years, to, best, to the best of my remembrance, the, the, the need for planning has been really underlined, but particularly planning with regard to storm surge and water, because much more damage has been done along the coast than lives lost and, and been threatened by excessive rainfall and water and storm surge than specifically by wind uh, along the way. Yes, I mean, exactly. Uh, that, you know, water is a strong force. You've seen those images in these floods of cars floating. You know, you can lift a, you know, a two-ton vehicle and move it down the street because of the force of water. You know, 15 inches of water uh, in the home can get above the electrical outlets uh, and cause electrical storage and damage. Uh, so water... Flood water, storm surge, tidal surge uh, is just as significant in low-lying areas. So fortunately, we now have great opportunities to map areas, to understand. There are hydrologists who do the forecasting. Uh, and so if people are much more informed these days, but it still takes that individual preparedness. I'm going to do something to be safe myself so that I don't have to worry and then somebody else has to come and take care of me or I'm going to go to a safe place where officials, county government, and the Red Cross have set up shelters and to go to those shelters. Most of them are evacuation. There, People come and are gone in 24 to 36 hours after the storm passes. And then we have those long-term shelters. Um, back in Florence, we opened the first shelters somewhere around the 9th of September, and we did not close them until Thanksgiving weekend in some areas of eastern North Carolina. 
people living in shelters for 60 and 70 days because they couldn't go back home or their home was too severely damaged. Just well, you, an amazing thing to happen. You hit a number right on the head there because although the official uh, meteorological hurricane season runs from uh, June 1st to November 30th, and that doesn't mean we can't have uh, some sort of storm, even a hurricane before June 1st. It's not, we've had a lot of witness and, and even named storms before June 1st, but usually the hurricanes show up, the earliest they show up is sometime in July. But the date you named is just about exactly the high point of the hurricane season, that is September 9th or 10th on the average. Yes, absolutely, and that's the peak. And then that's when the Atlantic uh, outside of the Gulf really gets active, and that's even the bigger risk than you know, for the east coast of the United States. And so while I also have to support my uh, Red Cross neighbors to the south and in the Gulf and Texas, Louisiana, Mississippi for those Gulf storms a little earlier in the hurricane season, once that uh, Atlantic season ramps up, then those of us in South Carolina, North Carolina, Red Cross, and Virginia get really concerned uh, as well. And then, then we have to look for those same folks to start coming our way to help. And so that's one of the key things. You know, as we talk about your own individual preparedness, the Red Cross is preparing and constantly needing volunteers. So volunteers are, can be professionals like nurses and EMTs that want to work in shelters and keep people safe and healthy. We need people who are skilled in logistics uh, to move supplies and materials around. Uh, you don't have to have a particular skill or a licensed skill to support families in need through the Red Cross. But if you're interested uh, this hurricane season, we would love to have you consider being a volunteer with the Red Cross. Again, over 90% of the workforce is volunteers. They are the leaders. They make some big impact, big decisions to help serve families and communities when large-scale or even small-scale events like the fires we talked about earlier, Tom, happen in our community, uh, and somebody has to be there to help those families. Well, now, if somebody wants to volunteer, and this can be for, for the kind of thing you're talking about there, that is to work during hurricanes and, and catastrophes and severe things, but also there are a lot of uh, the activities. I know the person that when I try to call you on the phone, uh, oh, is it Peachtree Street, Peach? Clear tree, uh, The person that answers the phone there, I believe, is a volunteer. And uh, yeah, they, they exactly. We have, we as I say, we, our volunteers outnumber, so it can be office administration, it can be fleet management support and keeping the vehicles ready and equipped to, to go. It can be logistics. It can be planning. You can be uh, on the weather team and help track the storms and use some great technology to be able to use it. You can be the person who simply is loading the trucks in a warehouse. If you'd like to learn to drive a forklift, when we have warehouses that have to be set up, all kinds of things. Uh, last uh, time we had a major event, Hurricane Florence, we had over 4,200 different volunteers helping to make a difference. And again, we need nurses for the shelters. We need shelter management, shelter workers. Uh, and all you have to do is hold up your hand, go online and say, I'd like to volunteer. And other volunteers will help you determine what your interest is could be working on our blood program, could be helping our nation's military, could be teaching first aid or CPR or water safety. Just uh, hundreds of Red Cross volunteer jobs across eastern North Carolina, across the listening area, that folks can join in, Tom, and make a difference. Because you know, again, the Red Cross is not that building on Pear Tree, it's the people in the community giving time, well, money, and energy to the mission. Well, one thing I hear you saying, though, and this, this is something I would be concerned about if. Uh, 
I were volunteering is that uh, you're going to do the most that you can in helping people who may have been displaced or something uh, move to a, a different place in a healthy way given the pandemic. And uh, I hope I said that right. I never can say that word right. As well as your staff people, they're going to be uh, dealt with in a way that is as healthy as you, as you can make it. We're going to, coming up to a break now, and I want to talk about just one thing that is, you sort of hinted at it as you were, were uh, counting off the things that the Red Cross does there, but I, we almost missed talking about it last time. And my sister was involved. Uh, she worked for the Department of Defense for a number of years, 16, 17, 18, something, and she was stationed in Ger Germany. She taught military children. But I came became aware of the, the role that the Red Cross plays in dealing with military personnel if, if, for instance, if I needed to get her to come home because my father was ill, which, in fact, I had to do at one time, the Red Cross is the way that that is done. It's a kind of a separate organization that parallels the military and, and works to enable those people to come. Uh, can you speak about that for a moment? Sure, absolutely. And you're, you're right. Uh, many folks uh, are not aware, but our, our whole uh, reason for creation was around international humanitarian law supporting military personnel and families and the treatment of wounded and dying in, in a battle, uh, civilians and those that uh, are taken prisoners of war, all those things that maybe you saw on Hogan's Heroes, right? Uh, right. Ago from that silly comedy show, or perhaps more importantly on a show like MASH where they were neutral and impartial. And so when a military member is deployed down the street uh, at Fort Bragg here or halfway across the country in San Diego or around the world in Kuwait or Korea, and there's a family emergency. That's the American Red Cross is the conduit. You know, if the military member has an emergency, the military personnel will show it up to your door and inform you of the crisis or the circumstance. In this case, when it's the family member, the wife, the spouse, the sister, uh, the brother, the mom, the grandma, uh, the uncle, potentially, it could be that the, that service member needs that information going the other way, and that is delivered by the American Red Cross, verified by the Red Cross, so that the military command can know that it's a uh, true emergency and then make decisions. Uh, as an example of that, Tom, how important that is, I have one of my staff members, and her name is Deborah, and she is currently deployed to Baghdad. She is not a member of the United States military. She's a member of the American Red Cross. She is donning uh, Army fatigues with Red Cross emblems on it, and is in um, Baghdad, in the green zone, to help relay those information and messages uh, from around the country uh, that two men and women in the Middle East serving the United States. And so she's deployed there. She'll be there till August. So uh, we are uh, front line with our men and women in uniform when these emergencies occur. And so Deb uh, is over there now, and we, uh, we, are, we send in her care packages and wishing her well as she served alongside our military as a Red Crosser. She's not active duty. She's not reserved. She's Red Cross, and she's in Baghdad right out of my team members right now serving uh, the men and women in uniform. Does the Red Cross work very closely? It seems like I think they do with the USO organization, which uh, we became very familiar with during World War II, and it really hasn't disappeared. Oh, absolutely. The USO is a key uh, component of entertainment of the troops here and uh, travel services and support at airports across the nation as men and women in uniform uh, and their families travel. 
Uh, and so we get the opportunity to partner with them in meeting veterans' needs and delivering services here uh, stateside uh, as well. So it's not always bad emergency news opportunities to serve our men and women in uniform. And so when we get a chance to partner with great organizations like the USO, we do so to, again, provide a touch of home when men and women are serving far away from their uh, families. There's such a challenge to the military life of deployments, the effect on families and children. While mom or dad are deployed for six, nine, 12 months, then they do two or three deployments in a three to five year period, and it's a real stress on the family. So great organizations like the USO and the Red Cross coming together to support these families is really important. You know, I never have told you this before, Barry, as we go to a break here. And after, after the break, when we come back, we'll talk about giving blood and learning to swim and things like that. But it must be very satisfying work that, that you and your people do because uh, that it provides for a need that is certainly there and so on. Barry Porter of the American Red Cross, the Eastern North Carolina chapter of it, who he's stationed in Raleigh, but he has to sort of make sure that everybody's prepared for what may happen during severe weather seasons, and we are right on the, we're right on the front edge of the signed hurricane season. We'll be back on WPTF right after this. 952 at WPTF. What I did get to is at halftime here on the Tom Kearney Show, is to promote what we're going to have tomorrow night. Dean Bailey, the nighttime mechanic from King's Auto, will be here. We're going to talk about keeping the old buggy running and what you can do to do that and the necessity for changing filters and having your car properly serviced and so on. That's tomorrow night. Friday night is going to be Friday Night Trivia, and this week we're going to have Name That Song. And uh, Monday night, Dr. Jim Clark is going to talk to us about a book uh, uh, that deals with his hometown. Uh, and it... Uh, a little bit of what I call history on the ground, and I think it'll be a very enjoyable thing for those who are listening to it. Tonight, Barry Porter, who is uh, director of the American Red Cross chapter for Eastern North Carolina, is with us. And the two things, Barry, I thought the most important one we need to work in about the four and a half to five minutes that we have left is, is giving blood, because again, here we are at the beginning of the vacation season, and a thing that interferes with the rhythm of people giving blood at uh, uh, different occasions when, when they might normally, uh, because their schedules are so different, and also some of the other things, like learning to swim and those kind of things that the Red Cross does. It, the table yeah, is right. yours. It'll be, a, it'll be summer soon, and living is easy but warm in North Carolina. And as you mentioned, um, people uh, change their habits, change their focus. Uh, and we also lose the ability to go to schools and congregate uh, areas, which has obviously been affected since uh, last March uh, with school shutdowns and universities shut down. So fortunately, the American people have stepped up and been coming to us to donate blood because they all felt they wanted to do something in the middle of this pandemic. Well, the pandemic is still happening. We still have the challenge of schools and universities that can't be in existence at old large blood drives, and then what do we have? Summer months and vacations, uh, and it all adds up to uh, potential uh, shortages of blood. And so blood uh, has to be given. It's transfused every two seconds in America to someone in need, and that means a steady, constant supply of donors uh, in that process. And so we need to ask folks to consider to make a blood donor appointment, give that one extra time, this year, if you've already given once this year, eight weeks later you can donate again. 
uh, and then still go on vacation, come back off of uh, vacation later in the summer and make another donation because the Red Cross doesn't need blood, Tom. It's the patients in the hospitals. We've been doing a great job because the American people have been turning out and wanting to make a difference. Don't let that energy and spirit stop as it gets warm outside and you plan those vacations because patients will spend the time in the hospital. Cancer patients get about 20% of blood and blood products that are needed. There's still trauma that happens. There's an ongoing need even in the middle of the pandemic for blood transfusions to meet emergency needs. And that's what we're about. We want to prevent and alleviate human suffering in the face of emergency. And we can do that by mobilizing the American people who are at least 16 years of age, weigh at least 110 pounds, are in general good health to donate blood on a regular basis. And there are just too few Americans doing that regularly to have a steady, easy supply. So thanks for helping us to get the word out to come donate blood this summer. And we've got about a minute left, and uh, the the the, uh, the learning to swim thing, that kind of thing, life oh, saving courses, and all those kind of things, real real quickly now, so we can get out. Sure. Of that. So, learn to swim is an important aspect to be safe around water. We all know that we should swim where there are lifeguards and have safety, but the best thing to do is to also know how your own uh, swimming skills. So, go to RedCross.org, type in swim classes, and help to find where swimming classes are available beginning, intermediate, advanced swimming, so you can be safe around the water this summer because um, drowning is a real act, and we want people to be safe, and swimming can be very enjoyable when you know how to do it easily through Red Cross Swim Lessons. Barry, I want to thank you for being with us tonight. One of the things we can encourage people to do is to stay tuned to WPTF. Our 50,000-watt signal covers most of the coastal areas, and it's a good place to listen during a hurricane, and I'll be talking to you off the air in just a couple of minutes, okay? That'll be great. Thanks, Tom, for the opportunity. Okay, and tomorrow night we're going to talk with the mechanic of the night, and Friday night is going to be trivia.